this show is going to be one of interest for you. Catherine Clark is the principal of Catherine Clark Connects, a boutique mental health firm consulting firm that specializes in helping individuals and organizations proactively address mental health. And she's got a new book that we will talk about called Gifts in Dark Packages. How's it going, Catherine? Thank you for joining us. It's going so well. I mean, other than the usual stuff that happens in life with our mental health, there's all the colds going around. And, uh, you know, we're just we're trying to be resilient. And I think that's the message I really want to give to your listeners today. Well, thank you for for taking the time. I know this is going to be kind of the the opposite thing, um, but you've got an, an awesome mug that says, Coffee with Catherine. Let's talk about what Coffee with Catherine is. And before we get to that, let's let's uh, let, let me ask you how you take your coffee. I am a cappuccino girl. Mm-hmm. I have cream in it when it's drip coffee, but I think it's worth it for everyone. Especially, I lived in the Arctic when I was working in suicide intervention. You want to believe? I took my espresso maker with me. <laughs> Absolutely. So a good long shot and a little bit of foamed milk, and I'm a happy camper. I, I'm on quite the roll today. I didn't get too much sleep last night. I was working overtime and and then doing some extra stuff, and of course, family things. You get caught up. Um, I'm on uh, one coffee, double espresso, Turkish coffee, Greek coffee, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, the day's still not over. Um, <laughs> Sounds like you're going around the world. Yeah, well, you, you got you got to you got to hit it pedal to the metal sometimes, right? Especially on a Friday. I don't know if I'm going to even survive. I have some prior commitments coming up, um, and I still have to get ready. And I still have to meet up with people, and I still have to make those things happen and and look like I'm actually functional in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know. Catherine, you are a survivor of a, a pretty traumatic experience. Uh, you were diagnosed with a cancerous tumor in the, in your neck, right? Underneath mm-hmm. your, and uh, then you went through all the motions, uh, of course, uh, maybe jumping off in front of a train and, and uh, trying to wipe yourself out. And you know, <laughs> there, there's, you know, these are natural feelings uh, for someone uh, who, well, I guess you, your mindset at the time was, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well just end it, right? Um, but that also spawned something. When your doctor came back and said that that tumor was benign, uh, you decided to go back to school, get the certifications to help people. Let's talk about that. This is pretty cool. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I write about a topic called post-traumatic growth, in the book. And I don't know if you're a Rumi fan, poetry fans out there, but Rumi quotes, uh, the wound is where the light enters you. And honestly, that's really the premise for gifts and dark packages. The title of the book is we, we fall upon dark times. There's going to be a life-threatening tumor. There's going to be a car accident. There's going to be struggles with kids at school, the sandwich generation need I go on. And it's the whole premise of it is how you receive those gifts. Many of us are like, whoa, that doesn't belong to me. (laughs) Like take that return to sender, right? Um, Which I tried to do. And we're very good at avoiding 
uh, often not even sleeping, which is one of the best things we can do for our mental health. But to answer your question spot on, it was a wake up call, as many people have had. And it was really that, you know, dark night of the soul. Are you going to get down in that puddle of pain and feel it all to heal it all? Are you going to stay stuck there? Are you going to ask for help? It was this huge epiphany. And what I realized, I'd been working in advertising. I had a cool job, you know, Montreal, Toronto, New York. But I was not doing something socially redeeming. And when you face your own mortality, you are fundamentally changed at your core. You can't help but walk outside and go, huh, is that what it's all about? I'm making this this billboard on the highway, you know, to sell. Well, we were just talking about cough syrup to babies, right? You know, I needed to do something more socially redeeming. So that's why I went back to school. I went from consumer psychology, manipulating consumers' minds, to human psychology, and building bridges to resiliency. Is this where the coffee with Catherine comes in? Is it- <laughs> It probably is because, dude, I wrote the book during the pandemic, having had a bunch of other dark packages. So I needed a lot of cups of coffee. I'd never written a book before. I think I would have rather have done a PhD at this point. It kind of felt like that. But I decided the easiest thing to do was to like just invite people over to my couch, have a cup of coffee sit down it doesn't the darkness doesn't have to be so scary and we've all got stuff we've all got problems of living it's okay it's okay to give yourself permission to just get off and talk about it and so I wanted to make it feel kind of cozy and approachable as opposed to something that's scary the darkness doesn't have to be so scary it, that's true. I think, I think to make it even more, more cozy, you right now you need some Christmas lights and, <laughs> and, and the tree, like the fake trees around you with the smell of like incense or you know, cinnamon or something. But I, I fully agree with you. There's a lot of, a lot of people out there. Um, and I, I do talk about this kind of stuff with, uh, you know, my wife, my friends, sometimes my family, you know, everybody has their own problems in life. And, um, I don't judge anyone because I may have problems and I don't even know I have problems, right? Until you talk <laughs> about it and uh, you pretty much, you enlighten yourself to the, you look at yourself in the mirror and that's kind of what happened for you. I think is like uh, you hit rock bottom, but you know, you mm-hmm. empowered yourself because the only way to go is up from here. Right. Exactly. Um, there were a lot of people like me. I, I, I battle myself all the time, right? I, I, I battle, um, I'm a victim of self-sabotage. I'm also the person who commits the crime. Is that a very common thing um, when, when you, you deal uh, with people uh, in organizations or individuals? 
you know, we all have mindset challenges, put it that way. And my, my training, my background's in cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's like we carry around this little critic on our shoulder. It might be your hockey coach, your grandfather, you know, um, maybe it's someone one day who just said something to you. And after that, it was like, I am so not good enough. And the cool thing about cognitive behavioral therapy is yes, our thoughts are directly related to our moods and emotions and hence our behavior. But we have this thing called neuroplasticity and we can, we can actually reprogram our brains at any age. So instead of waking up and going, oh crap, I'm never going to get everything done. I'm not good enough. Whether you're the CEO of a large corporation or the janitor who does the most, probably one of the most important jobs or the receptionist, I have not met anyone yet who doesn't have self-limiting thoughts and self-sabotaging thoughts. (laughs) I haven't met anybody yet. I mean, if I do, I'll let you know, George. <laughs> uh, unintentional thoughts of procrastination. That's <laughs> that's that's kind of how I I I just thought about that now, and it, it really uh, it doesn't really single me out because I know a lot of people who are like me, um, and, I, and I know th- there are more than many people that are like me, and uh, we're we're not alone in this it's it's not a very it's a very big thing especially for someone who wants to obtain things everybody has their critics right everybody um tries to um be the best they can and when they get held back or they listen to other people then make choices that aren't uh for them they listen to other people because for some reason that validates a decision or that um can you explain how good it is for your mental health to listen to you and not your, I mean, like your own self. Um, That's such a good question. And, you know, I think the big nugget in there is that we can't often hear that inner voice because there's so much noise out there. There's so many people wanting our attention and screaming at us, like from the inside out, basically. And one of the things that's that even small steps is is taking that time out to just take it. I know it sounds so easy, but take a deep breath, step away, even saying something like, this is part of cognitive behavioral reprogramming. Is this really the hill I want to die on today? You know, is there any other way to look at this picture? So for example, you know, worked in a lot of a lot of corporations, uh, a lot of people catastrophizing. And I have a chapter here called curbing your catastrophizing boss calls you in the office says, I want to see you over the lunch hour. Now what's the first thought that pops in your head, George? Something bad. Yeah. You go right to what did I do wrong? And then you probably can, you know, just catastrophize bigger and bigger from that. You don't ask yourself, gee, I wonder, could it be something good? Or could it be something neutral? So we we basically get our, our knickers in a knot, if you will. We get, you know, gastrointestinal issues. We got, you know, we got headaches. We can't breathe, you know, uh, hyperventilating. And we go in and the boss says, I'd like to promote you. So my suggestion is actually have four people 
on what I call your who you going to call list when Ghostbusters aren't answering. Your two personal contacts, like you said, the people that will really tell you how it is. George, come on. You just did this great, you know, this great project. You got all these accolades. What the heck? The, the organization needs you, of all people, to kind of re-evaluate. Um, is this actually the truth? And secondly, have a worst case scenario plan that you can put, you know, put off on somebody, even if that were to happen, what could you do? And that's where I just want people to know you've survived 100% of all the crap, all the worst case scenarios that already came to your doorstep. What does that say about you? Chances are, even if you were fired, you dust yourself off, right? Maybe go to, people go, I'm going to be homeless. You know, all these things are going to happen. Well, go to the soup kitchen, get something in your belly, go um, get some retraining. And the cool thing is, that's where the light can happen. Because this newfound wisdom and strength from that crappy experience, if it were to happen, Maybe you'll retrain to do something you thought you'd never, ever be able to do. You know, in the arts, for example, if you're like an engineer. And, you know, lastly, like basically it's perspective. Ask those two people at work who are on your board of advisors to remind you of the things you've done well. Because we are so focused on the last negative thing that we did that we can't let those positive things trickle in, can we? No, we can. And and, and and in today's society, a lot of people deal with anxiety. Um, can you explain like the where anxiety comes from or how does it spawn? Or like, I mean, like I, I, I've read about uh, people having expectations for themselves and that mm-hmm. sometimes triggers that kind of feeling. Well, you know, when you think about it, caveman days, <laughs> like fight or flight, freeze response. I mean, it was there to literally save our lives. But what's happened from stress response, right, all the way through to high anxiety is that our appraisal has gotten completely out of whack. Wouldn't you agree? Like we're like, oh, the kid's crying. That's like life threatening now. You know, um, the car doesn't work. Oh, I'm not going to make that meeting. Uh, you know, like we are constantly in this heightened state of fight or flight. And we need that, you know, we need our heart to be racing. We need that, you know, that sympathetic nervous system to kick in and the adrenaline to pump. But we got to, you know, we got to run for our lives. But we weren't meant to, as human beings, have that 24-7. The parasympathetic nervous system can't kick in because we don't actually have that recovery. Simple things like walking away and breathing, getting in nature, you know, having those, those moments of recovery. We're just not building them into our time anymore, are we? And so as a, as a result, anxiety as a diagnosable disorder is something that's, it's like we can't even get through a regular day without feeling like this dread and it, it, it affects every part of our life, it affects our relationships when it becomes a diagnosable disorder, it affects our work. And most importantly, it keeps us from enjoying life. And it doesn't have to be that way. I want people to know that. 
That is very well said. Uh, yeah, there is a lot to talk about when it comes to mental health. Um, and we could talk about this for hours and of course, throw in a couple other things too. But when it comes to self-empowerment and lifting yourself up, I know I went through it too over the last couple of months with this show. I was searching uh, and, and like you were saying, like it's the best time, the worst times are the best times, right? You, you, look, you look for the inspiration, the self-empowerment. Um, how do we seek that that empowerment to lift ourselves up from that that spot where we just need to push on and get it going once again? Again, I think that comes back to self some self insight and when i asked her when i said the question about um you know how did you survive all those other tough times often it's 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 doing a strength finder like what am i really good at like how did i do that like what that's one of the questions i often ask clients is how did you manage to cope like what were your competencies and strengths that you pulled out of where'd you even pull those out of right and so I think it's taking stock and really owning those strengths. We were, we were socialized not to be boastful, right? But if you are really good and you're really resourceful and good at problem solving, quick on your feet, you know, you're good with people, you're, um, you know, you're really good with, um, with helping or artistically you see things that other people don't see, you're good with numbers and figuring things out, that's your kind of in your bank of strengths. And along with that, celebrating your strengths, being a little bit boastful about it, swimming with the current instead of against the current, right? Owning that. And lastly, getting to this place of self-acceptance, which, I, which I'd like to expand on a little bit. I don't know. Sure. If you... Go ahead. Let's do it. So in the way the book's set up, it's there's four categories in the book. And I've created a mental health resiliency roadmap for people. I actually thought about George making a Maslow's hierarchy, but that kind of gets us all back to that feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough striving all the time, right? And so with a mental health resiliency roadmap, what I wanted was for people to say at some point, dark package, Bring it on, you know, what's the latest one? Is it marital breakdown? Is it, you know, losing my job? Is it, is it a life-threatening tumor? And one of the big important pieces is you can't get on the road unless you've done a safety check, right? Unless you've looked under the hood. Well, I guess so. I mean, yeah. You, well, you got to have self-honesty. You got to say, you know what, this isn't working. I'm not getting any sleep, right? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to actually feel happy or feel joy. I'm just kind of stuck in this puddle of pain. And so going from that pity party to a pivot party where you're barely surviving to thriving takes just adding little tools into your toolkit. I want people to know you've already got tools. If they're working, keep on doing them. But numbing and avoidance and self-sabotage that you already talked about, they're kind of those maladaptive tools, right? That as therapists, we like to have the honesty and the self-awareness 
that, you know, you're, you're just surviving. But you can add little tools to your toolkit, like self-forgiveness. God, nobody wants to do that, right? Self-acceptance. Um, actually acknowledging that it's okay not to be okay, as I said earlier. And the self-acceptance exercise I love the most. I don't know if you if you got this far in the book, George, but it's a letter you write to yourself. You think of yourself as a nine-year-old. Have you ever done this, George? No, I haven't. So explain to me. You think of yourself as a nine-year-old looking back on your life and you think, you know, if I could live my life and I could all over again, and I would give advice to the person or the age I am at right now from the nine-year-old that's in me. Because guess what? You've got the wisdom of a nine-year-old. You just haven't been acknowledging it or seeing it. What would you say to that, you know, 30, 40, 20-year-old self in your you know, 20-year-old from a wiser older you. And I found that exercise can help people so very, very much to get to a place of, okay, I've got it. <laughs> it's the art of self-reflection. That's what it is. Yeah. And sometimes it, it does work. It makes you realize things um, if you're real. Cause sometimes like, I feel like there is a lot of things that play a factor in how we perceive ourselves. Oh my goodness, like, yeah. We have social media, right? A lot of the people on there, you know, they don't have the lavish lifestyle that you think they'd have, right? Oh yeah, they don't. Um, <laughs> that's right. toxic positivity, that's what I it call really it. It really is, and it, it's mm. like it's like cocaine for the mind, right? To be validated by likes, and I, I've talked about this with many people I, I do not like social media i like the fact that i can chat with someone and talk with them but i don't like the fact that you know people are buying likes and and, and uh they're able to be keyboard warriors and damage other people's mental health if, if not push them over the edge to the end um, and that's happened many times when we talk about trauma when someone deals with a very traumatic event in their life, whether it's death or is something really crazy. Um, how, how do they usually approach it? Like, I mean, like what, what is your approach to helping them deal with a very significant event in their life? Uh, whether it be, you know, regurgitating it years later or um, being that it recently happened. Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, honestly, back on that toxic positivity, that's how I, I recommend you not do it, right? And yes. and if the people in your life are going, oh, it's okay, it's a couple of weeks, you'll be over it by now, or tough it out, like all those, those messages that we have that literally shut down the healing process. And, and further to your point about people pretending that's, that's the whole piece about actually at some point having someone sit down with you and say, you know what, this is, this is what grief looks like, you know, and maybe, maybe you're angry and that's, that's an energetic emotion. Feel it. 
right? Um, we're often socialized not to experience that full range of emotions. And I think that's job one in the healing of trauma is to even actually give voice or give words to the experience when you've never even been allowed to feel it. Right. Right. This has been very informative for me. And, you know, I've come to many realizations and I know what I have to do to, you know, self-reflect on many things. Right. And uh, I'm sure people who are listening right now will find the health uh, and the help to move on forward. Uh, It can be very difficult sometimes to maybe uh, choose which path to go on. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's that whole tough it out, um, suffer in silence. I just want people to know that we're talking about this now. And the more that we see our mental health as whole health, like you wouldn't say to your friend who broke their arm, fell off their bike or whatever, just tough it out, dude. Like, yeah, it's probably broken, but, you know, you're tough. You can get over it. No, we have protocols for that. We send them to the hospital. They get it x-rayed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But how many times does someone have something very traumatic ta- happen to them? And not only are we ill-informed or ignorant, but we, we try to gloss it over because it's uncomfortable for someone else to hear it or the stigma associated is so great. So, yeah, my, my real um, message that I want to get across to people, having worked where the suicide rate is 10 times the national average in the Arctic, stood on the subway platform myself, you don't even know when you're feeling depressed because we didn't learn this stuff in school. Nobody actually said, oh, when this and this happens, that's when you need to go to the doctor. But we can start talking about it the same way we talk about a broken arm and what to do about that. And when you are that severely depressed, You can't access the left part of your cognitive brain to do the things that other people judge you on. Like, oh, well, even someone saying, oh, it's selfish to think about suicide. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If there's one thing I'd like people to leave with, please ask for help. Please go. Your doctor is your front door to treatment. He will or she will do an inventory. If you're not sleeping, you don't have an appetite. You just simply don't have any um, joy in things you used to find enjoy enjoyable. These are key signs of depression. There's help. There's bridges out there. Please cross them. And if you or someone you love comes to you and says, I'm having thoughts of suicide, I know it's a tough subject. But the best thing you can do is say, I'm here for you. I don't know what to say or do to be helpful, but I know there's people who can help. And I'm going to make that call. 
whether it's a hotline or whether it is getting that person to a clinic. You know, sometimes it's very difficult for someone to do that and break out from, you know, where, where they are and cross that bridge. Um, Catherine, this has been very informal. We've got to have you on once again sometime soon. Uh, you can check out her book, Gifts in Dark Packages. Yeah, I have a copy of myself, and uh, it's pretty good. It's a good read so far. Uh, I'm planning on finishing it, um, hopefully by the end of next week. You can check out Catherine's website, katherineclarkconnects.com. Um, you can connect with her there as well. Check out her keynote speaking uh, engagements over on YouTube. That was pretty cool as well. Thank you so much, Catherine. This has been awesome. It's been a long time coming, and I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. It was it was a blast, and I hope we can all get resilient and really focus on our mental health and our and our voices, as you can see. 